And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible The entire Bible every year On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. And a happy Father's Day to all of the dads out there, dads and granddads and great-granddads and all the way up and down the ladder. In my, in my family, we, we, we celebrate the uncles, too. The, you know, I was telling my boys tonight that they're going to have to have a, someday, I suspect, we're going to have an uncle's day, right? An aunt day. and, an, and then, I got a card and it said, uh, my sister, you know, and her kids, and it was like, happy Uncle Father's Day. Uncle Father said, "Well, it's it somehow it's going to have to happen." You know, I guess I'm father like. Well, yeah, light like. Oh, oh, you know, like you know, Bud Light. You know, the uncle you... is kind of a fatherly figure. Without the uncle is kind of a fatherly figure. Not a doubt about it. My boys are great, great uncles to their to their little nephew. No doubt about it. So yeah, no, we were talking about that today. Somehow there's got to be a. That's got to come around. I'm sure with all of the politi- political correctness in the world, there will be that somewhere. Uh, well, and then I guess it only goes to say that uh, 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 Ant's Day would follow. No, well, no, it won't follow. It'll probably go first. No, but you know what I mean, but I'm saying if, if they do one, they're going to do the other. I'm they would sure do the other. Will. I'm sure with it. But happy Dad's Day, all of you out there. This is a very, very interesting day to celebrate uh, the fathers, um, everybody got a father. Even even old Soapy Dollar, the orphan, all my life, never knew him, never don't know who he is or anything. But I had to have one, right? We've there all was, got the Holy Father. And there is that Heavenly Father. Exactly right. There's no doubt about it. Well, welcome aboard, everyone. Our phone number is 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. And this is The Bible Live. And so we're going to be looking tonight at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They are kind of a match set. Uh, Ezra, of course, was, uh, we believe, to to have been written by this um, scribe, this priest named Ezra. He 
Uh, kind of, it's thought that he wrote both the book of Chronicles and then uh, continued on into the book of Ezra. The, it's because the the book of Ezra, as as you read it, it it reads very much in style and language like the books of Chronicles. Something like uh, Luke, the you know style and the language and the style uh, uh, writing style of Luke from the book of the Acts. From I'm, I'm sorry, from the book of Luke, the Gospel, into the book of the Acts. There's that same attention to detail that uh, the historian's eye, and we see that same uh, effect here from the books of the Chronicles into Ezra, and then part of the book of Ezra, uh, chapters 7 through 9 that we read this week, in fact. Uh, we read Ezra chapter 4 all the way through the end of the book, chapter 10, and then we started reading the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1 through 13. But uh, some of those chapters of Ezra, chapters 7 through 9, uh, are written in the first person, with Ezra being the, the character, the speaker. So it's it's pretty much heavily, um, generally uh, thought and understood that Ezra was the author of the book of Ezra, and then Nehemiah, uh, of the book of Nehemiah, and the, those experiences. Um, they are kind of a match set because they, their historical setting is somewhere around uh, 515. Uh, that was the, when the the altar was finished, the building of the altar. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah both there were there. They principally are known in some ways for supervising the rebuilding of uh, the of Jerusalem, the uh, the temple. Ezra focused on that, the rebuilding of the temple. The Nehemiah came and uh, focused on the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem, so that Jerusalem could be a secure, uh, growing city once more. Both of them, uh, of course, are part of the prof- the prophecy, the, the uh, prophesied by Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, other prophets as well, talking about how that uh, Israel would be taken 70 years in, in bondage, in exile into Babylon, starting in, in 586 B.C. when the temple was destroyed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, the armies of Babylon. 586 B.C. and then 515 when the um, temple, the the altar at the temple was uh, was repaired and rebuilt. So those are generally speaking uh, the 70 years that many think uh, fulfill the 70 year prophecy. But these are men and women, about four to six thousand men and women who made the long journey back from from. Uh, uh, Babylon, they made that long journey back to Israel. To uh, they were permitted by Cyrus, which was also p- predicted and prophesied hundreds of years before Cyrus was even born. By name, it was predicted that one named Cyrus would uh, would allow them to return to Israel, and so um, we saw that take place as well. Cyrus the Great of the Medo-Persians. So it is, um, it's a remarkable thing that we're witnessing here as the people of Israel return. Uh, these are men and women, generally speaking, who believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
part of the reason they're going back is because of that faith and that belief that they are called of God to be uh, in that land and to carry out the purpose of God for the uh, children of Israel. The children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. They become the, the men and women who, who believed in God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and followed and, and were loyal and believed that their destiny was to be, to follow God and to be used by God principally to bring the Messiah, the Savior of the world, into the world, that's into birth. And so uh, there were a number of reasons they needed to be in, in Israel. Uh, there, there were predictions about the land and about the birth of Messiah, about the lineage of Messiah. And that's what I wanted to talk about tonight to give you up front before we get into our discussion about specifically about Ezra and Nehemiah, I wanted to ask you to give me a phone call tonight, 210-340-9585. I'm really wanting to hear from you because I would like for many of you, as you can, um, th- get out your Bible, think through the biblical uh, narrative that we have, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and Samuel, and so on. Keep going all through the scriptures. And I want you to see uh, what I want to plant uh, tonight, the general idea or approach to these scriptures, is that <clears throat> the redemptive plan of God from the book of Genesis onward, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, just after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin and the human race falls into uh, and uh, the, the sin nature enters into the human experience and uh, sin becomes a reality. God promises a redeemer. He promises, I'm going to send someone who will undo the work of Satan in tempting Adam and Eve into sin and, and the mankind uh, becoming, and the sin nature being released into humanity. I'm going to send a hero. I'm going to send a Messiah, a Savior, and he is going to come and he is going to overcome the work of Satan. And he is going to redeem mankind. Now, it's the first verbal prediction of a Messiah, the Genesis 3.15. There are many others, and of course they continue all through the Hebrew Scriptures. They continue to have this, on, this continual promise that one is coming, that there will be one who comes, and, and uh, predictions are given, specific predictions about uh, the lineage, about the, 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 the character of this Messiah, this Savior, this Redeemer, what kind of person he would be, he would be a godly, uh, perfect godly man who would be a righteous branch. He would be a, uh, the good shepherd. There's so many uh, words, a terminology that we get. <coughs> Daniel <coughs> makes popular the, the idea of the, of the son of man. I, uh, Isaiah speaks of one who uh, is a suffering servant and also a conquering king. We have those these all of these predictions and prophecies, this picture that is painted throughout the Hebrew Scriptures that God is going to send a Redeemer that would be the provision, the just, holy, righteous pr- provision of God for the sins of mankind so that all who desire God, 
All human beings who desire to know God, love God, to be right with God, to serve God, to honor God, to worship God, to, and to experience God both here in this life and in eternity, this one would be the provision. He would be the one that satisfies the just holiness and righteousness of God uh, in taking the penalty of our sin and also fully and totally and perfectly express the love of God for his people. So we have this Messiah predicted. We have him continue. Now I want to ask you a question. Can you mark out in the Old Testament, starting in the book of Genesis, anywhere you want to jump into the, the, the narrative, um, now the, the, the whole the entire Old Testament, that is what it is essentially about. At the core and, and behind everything and all the kings and all the battles and all of this and all of that and so on, behind all of that, the principal thing was that God is bringing uh, into the world through this these people, this, uh, uh, and, and of course there are other things. At the same time, he's teaching his people things about how we should live, how we should treat each other, how we should honor God, and he is protecting uh, that lineage, protecting that people. And the reason I say that is because many times in the Hebrew Scriptures, many times in the in what we call the Old Testament and the Tanakh, the Tanakh, there are you can see there are many. How would I say this? Uh, there are a lot of attempts to destroy God's people. The lot, of, lot of attempts. Right off the bat, Adam and Eve fall into sin, and God uh, promises this redeemer where they have a son, Seth, through whom the redeemer was going to come. But what happens? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. They had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel, the one through who, who obeyed God, who was sought after God. And uh, through whom the righteous lineage had begun, and what happens? His brother Cain kills him. So right away, we say the enemy trying to interrupt, interfere to to mess up God's plan. Well, then another child is given to them named Seth, who becomes uh, who becomes that substitute for Abel, uh, and Seth follows after God. And loves God and serves God and worships God, and then you see the human race dividing into these these two these groups: those who want and love God and want to serve God, believe in God and trust Him, uh, and those who do not. And of course, finally, it comes down uh, to Noah, uh, and the whole race is comes under the condemnation and the judgment of God, and Noah and his family are preserved. And so you, you, what I'm trying to help you to see, some of, many of you see it already, but maybe there are those with us each and every Sunday who maybe you're here because I want to know about the Bible. I want to get to know this book, what it's about, and so on. And uh, this is what I'm uh, trying to tell you tonight is the principal theme of the Bible is the redemptive plan of God. Yes, there are many other things. There's history and there's poetry and there's about uh, and there's preaching and powerful sermons and many lessons for God's people about how we should live and how you know what we should not do, mistakes we should not not make and so on. But one of the, the principal things we see here is this 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 redemptive narrative. The, the story of salvation, this scarlet thread that winds its way through uh, the scriptures. And I want to ask you tonight, if you can, I, I've given you several examples now with Seth, with Noah. Uh, can you tell me tonight, 
Give me a call, 210-340-9585. Give me a call and tell me if you can identify, if you can recall, remember, and uh, tell me and tell our listeners, try to remember some of those, uh, some of the times when we see the, the enemy, perhaps uh, Satan himself and, and, and the demons uh, moving and, and influencing over humanity, we can see uh, the work of the enemy, our, our spiritual enemy. We can see the work of, of God's enemies in, in the human race. We can see there are a number of times when there was an attempt to wipe out uh, God's people, an attempt to eliminate the redemptive narrative, to interrupt it uh, and to destroy it. I want to know if you can give me a call, 210-340-9585, and let's see how many of those attempts that you can recall. All right? 210-340-9585. How many of those attempts to destroy, to interrupt the redemptive plan of God. Now, remember, it may have to do with trying to kill an individual. Uh, there were certain individuals that were fundamental, that were basic to God's plan. Uh, they were they were promised a place that their, their lineage, their their life, their, the, as an individual or their lineage. So that sometimes it would be, uh, it might be that there was a plan, an attempt to kill an individual. Maybe that individual was uh, in the lineage, and if they could kill him, they would wipe out. They'd interrupt the lineage of the redeemer. There's also the time to destroy. There's an attempt at times to destroy the entire people to destroy the entire nation of people whose identity was caught up in their relationship with God. Now, it was never about an ethnic group. It never was. Uh, there were. It was always very much intercultural, interracial, international uh, from beginning to end. But there was a group that was identified with this message uh, and uh, as a family lineage. And so... At times, you might see an attempt to destroy an entire people, uh, and you can destroy them by killing them in war and battle, or, boy, or, or you could destroy them by uh, uh, causing them to lose their identity, to, lo- to lose and, and forget that value. We're seeing a little bit, perhaps, of that kind of a battle in our nation today. Uh, America is a city on a hill. We have this unique uh, background, this unique founding uh, uh, on the gospel, on the belief in God, in God we trust, and so on. And uh, that that's part of our unique heritage as a people uh, that has marked us, not exclusively. I mean, it's not like America hasn't made mistakes, but remarkably, this land has been so powerfully infected spiritually by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the message of the scriptures, that so very many times uh, when we have made terrible mistakes and gotten off to the wrong on the wrong foot or the wrong uh, in the wrong path, we've been able to come back. We've been able. To, we've repented. We've we fought battles to correct uh, some of the very uh, terrible uh, errors that we made in our in, as a society, as a people. 
And uh, so we we see that uh, even our own land today, people are trying to remind us as Americans. uh, There are those trying to remind us, remember who we are, remember our heritage of faith and of of equality and and unity and equality under the law and all these values that that are continually brought up, uh, even as uh, it seems that there's a whole big part of our uh, culture of our society, a big uh, percentage, a high enough percentage to make a big difference that is, uh, it seems to be uh, very clearly set on destroying that legacy, that heritage, denying it, and destroying na- the nation, America, as was founded. Uh, and I'm not trying to be, I'm not in the least trying to be dramatic or over uh, uh, overemphasize or or to exaggerate at all i think we're all watching this uh, on our tvs listening to our news to the times in which we live and we are at one of those times when the when the very foundations of who we are as a people as a nation are being the foundations are being uh, picked away out they're crumbling and um, we are hoping, um, many of us praying, that that God will in his mercy provide uh, um, a solution, that he would restore us, that uh, there was a, in some way he would protect us. But you see what I'm talking about uh, when we talk about uh, the Old Testament, the people of God, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the children of Israel, uh, there are we can look now through their history, perhaps with a little more understanding, as we are going through this kind of a difficulty ourselves, uh, whether it's a coronavirus or or a political disillusion or an economic collapse or whatever it might be, uh, we can understand and see how a people, a nation, uh, a legacy can be destroyed and left behind and changed even forever. So let me ask you to do that tonight. Give me a call. The phone number here is 210-340-9585. I'd love for you to get on the phone as quickly as you can. And if you can think of one occasion, one example in the Hebrew Scriptures where we see a very clear attempt uh, on the part of the enemy of our souls, or, or on, or just um, we we can see that there were, the redemptive plan of God was nearly uh, interrupted, nearly uh, destroyed uh, because the uh, because of the um, attempt, uh, maybe the different ways that maybe one person was going to be killed and would you know at one time the uh, the. At one time, if you remember correctly, the lineage of King David, through whom the Messiah had to come, the, his lineage was boiled down to one child. All of them were killed, except for one. Only one escaped, and miraculously so. And we talked about that when we read, uh, reread the books of First uh, and Second Chronicles. But uh, okay, I, I won't give you any more hints. But I want you to, if you can, give me a call. And remind me of a time in the Hebrew Scriptures when the redemptive plan of God, there was an attempt, uh, there was a a, a near collapse, a near interruption and destroying of the redemptive plan of God. There's so many throughout the Old Testament, and even as we move into the New Testament as well, 
you, you can uh, cite any of those that you will. I'd love to hear from you because principally, I think that is the, that is the theme um, principal theme of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, we read, as I said, the chapters four through ten uh, of Ezra this past week, and there are some things in there that that we could uh, notice that we could write down in terms some of the some of the things that Ezra and Nehemiah were reminding the people of God. They were reminding the people of Israel, those who had returned and believed in God and trusted God and, and that legacy, that heritage, their place in the plan of God. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah had brought them back, which is an amazing thing in and of itself, <laughs> 70 years of exile. But they were brought back, and that was not, that was very unusual. These these kingdoms, these empires, whether it was the Babylonian Empire the the or, or the the per, the a Medo-Persian Empire that came after it, uh, under Xerxes, Artaxerxes, others. These um, these empires, the Assyrian Empire before them, when they conquered a land and took them in uh, into exile, they did not normally return them at all. Remember that the people of Israel, the the northern ten tribes of Israel, they had uh, after uh, Solomon's death, they had separated from Israel. Remember, they were taken in 722 B.C. into exile by the Assyrians up, up in Nineveh, and they were never returned and never reconstituted as a people. So this is not something, it wasn't usual, it wasn't normal for people to be returned, and yet uh, it had been predicted that one named Cyrus would allow them to return, and in fact, uh, Cyrus the Great was the one who signed that uh, decree allowing them to return to uh, allowing them to return to Israel. So, um, oh, what was my? Oh, what I want you to do is give me a call and tell me is if you can remember any any occasion in the in the Hebrew Scriptures where God tried to interrupt the redemption where where. Satan or, or the enemies of the, those who oppose God's plan, where they tried to interrupt, when uh, they maybe knowingly, maybe not knowingly, but they, we could see that <coughs> it was <coughs> going to interrupt and interfere with the redemptive narrative, the plan that God had, that He had announced. In fact, uh, over and over again in the Hebrew Scriptures. Give me a call if you'd like to give me an example. Two ten three four zero. So I I think that is the primary lesson of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, So we'll stick to that tonight. And also, though, I'll be giving you some more questions about about the book of Ezra, about the book of Nehemiah. There's some very interesting details. Each one of them, Ezra was a tremendous lover of the scriptures. Uh, and so we ought to learn from him. Nehemiah was a very gifted, he was not a priest, he was a very gifted um, administrator. He was a politician in reality, and yet he was a man of prayer. Ten times he burst into prayer in the book of Nehemiah. And we'll look at some of those as well. Some great lessons for us tonight from Ezra and Nehemiah. I hope you'll stay with me and give me a call, 210-340-9585. Don't go away now. We'll be right back.
Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Why is the sky so This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Father's love, the Father's eyes. That's a reminder of how great this day is. We need to remember it so much. You know, part of the uh, part of the problems that we face here in our country these days, uh, as I understand it, are from the fact that the failure, uh, the American home, has fallen into such dissolution and uh, so much unfaithfulness, so much uh, divorce, so much falling apart uh, that children. There's no way that children cannot be affected. My understanding is 70 to 75% of the children born in the black community of our nation, for example, are 70 75% born out of wedlock uh, across the nation. Uh, of course, that's not, that's not Soapy Dollar being judgmental. I myself was born out of wedlock and uh, um, what they used to call an illegitimate child. Oh, there are no real illegitimate childs. God loves us and brings us to himself. But we pay a price. Uh, we pay a price when the when the family, the the fundamental building block of a society is the family. And when that family is in uh, disillusion and confusion and chaos, uh, there will be a price to pay in the society. We'll see uh, what maybe there's a solution. Maybe God in his grace will grant us a renewal, a, a revival a, a, of, of uh, love, true, genuine love for each other, uh, men and women, families, children. Uh, maybe all of that can be redeemed as we turn back to the Lord. That's our prayer. Without a doubt. But anyway, we are back. 210-340-9585 is the phone number. 210-340-9585. And I have put out the invitation for you to call me tonight. We're going to focus on two books, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And each of them have wonderful stories and wonderful lessons for us as God's people about the, the, the importance of the Scriptures, about the power of God's Word, about worship, about prayer. Nehemiah is a tremendous example of, of prayer. And, of course, we see 
God used both of these men, Ezra and Nehemiah, to to remind these four to six thousand Israelites who have returned from Babylon back to their land, back to the promised land, because of their love for God, their belief and their trust in God. And of course, some of them too had land there. They wanted to go back and and recuperate their land, their lost homes that they had left behind, or their families had left behind many years before. Uh, all of that is a part of the mix, but we're looking at the spiritual element here that uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are helping to restore the people spiritually. That vision that set them apart, that identified them, uh, uh, the way they treated each other, the way they would live, and that God's promised to use them uh, as an instrument to bring into the world the Messiah. Uh, the Redeemer, the Savior, that would be uh, the one who would, as John the Baptist called him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So uh, I've given you a, a question. Please remind me throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, if you can, of all the occasions you can remember when the redemptive plan of God uh, there was an attempt to interrupt that plan uh, by by uh, destroying uh, the people of Israel, by destroying a particular person, in some way interfere with the redemptive plan that God set in motion way, way back even in the book of Genesis. So give me a call, if you will, to uh, remind me. Maybe you have a, uh, a an occasion in mind that you'd like to bring out. Give me a give me a call two ten three four zero ninety five eighty five just like our first caller here you can call in and uh, we'll get a chance to visit with you and give us a reminder of some of these ways uh, in each occasion thank God he interfered God overcame and he overcame the interruption he came overcame the temptation he came overcame the danger but uh, there were many attempts in the Hebrew scriptures we can see. Where, where there was an attempt to to undermine the plan of God, the redemptive plan. And who is up first? Uh, Harold is on the line with me first. Harold, I really appreciate your starting, getting us started tonight, nice and early. Oh, Hopefully we get a lot well, of good thank you calls. Very, well, thank you very much. You betcha. Happy Father's Day. To you as well. Uh-huh. I actually had a Father's Day last week also. My son got mixed up and took me out to eat, and he didn't realize it. <laughs> and, and you didn't, uh, and you I didn't, didn't remind him, did you? <laughs> well, I didn't realize it myself. Even the secretary at work said Happy Father's Day on Friday, and I was sitting there on the couch. That's crazy. Sunday morning last week, and my oh, wife said, I, aren't you going to do anything? And I said, it's Father's Day. So actually, we went out and eat again. So I got two thousand six. <laughs> Very good. That was a good job. I, I I celebrated last week as well, uh, but not because we forgot what Father Day. It happened to be my birthday <laughs> as well. So I got a birthday and a Father's Day, a double whammy here in the month of June. At, at so the same we, time. Yeah, yeah. It was okay. fun. It was fun. Let well, me, I like your format tonight. You know, uh, help me out. What can mess up the redemptive plan? Well, uh, well, you know. You, you mentioned those other two books, but you know you also said you can go all the way back to Genesis. Oh yeah, and uh, so in Genesis chapter uh, sixteen, verse one, where uh, Abraham's wife had not been able to bear any children for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. So, so if you look at seventeen, eighteen. Seventeen, eighteen. You know, we already know that she had Ishmael, and uh, the boy was right, kind of a young kid already. 
Uh-huh. And then if you look at 18, where or actually 17, you know, because Abraham heard from God, it says, how how can I become a father at the age of 100? Yeah. So he, I think he thought himself, it, according to the Bible, it says that. And how can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, may Ishmael live under your spiritual blessing? But God replied, no. Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son. So the question is, when you go back to to seventeen one, yeah, uh, Genesis seventeen one. I'm there. When Abraham, <laughs> yeah, okay, great. When Abraham was ninety nine years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, "I am El Shaddai." I like this part. Yes, God Almighty. So here's the question. So who was going to mess up the redemptive plan? It wasn't Sarah, per se. And to me, in the teaching that I've learned, is that Abraham, Abram, wasn't prepared to follow and do and obey the laws that God had stored in front of him. Maybe he could have had a kid at 40, 50. The woman, Sarah, Sarai, uh-huh. I believe she could have always had a kid. That's kind of an ancient teaching. Uh-huh. And the fact of it is, is is the man wasn't ready. He was still messing around. He was still not doing everything he was supposed to. So not. So it almost got messed up, the way I see it, or uh, the way I'm taught. i got to say that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's all right. That's all right. I can't be saying that stuff. Uh, so if he hadn't come to grips with, you know, with God and his laws, that, to me, what I've learned, that's why it took so long to have a child at 99 or 100. It wasn't because of Sarah. Now, it wasn't we have that to, Sarah we have, was spared. We have to remind our listeners, too, that remember that God had promised Abraham was, um, he was a primary, um, I don't want to say tool. Yes, he was, <laughs> we, no, he no, was but he primary, was primary. Yeah, he was, God had promised that it, through him, the nations of the world will be blessed. Part of his, part of that promise that God had given Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, was that Abraham was going to be through his seed would come the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior, among other things. Right. And so, but but he but. evidently, as you're saying, may have not believed, may have not been ready to make that commitment. Most of us, I think, we kind of get the idea that that. They just couldn't have a child, and pretty soon he was ninety nine, and and Sarah was ninety, and and they just no, and, and so he tried yeah. to make up, he tried to cover for God by having a child with Hagar, the the maid, the servant of Sarah. Well, that you know, was Sarah doing that. That was Sarah doing that. Okay, Sarah was the one that said, or Sarah said, you know, let's you know, since you can't have a kid, you know, we'll do it this way. Okay, you know, but um. I don't think it was Abraham. He did what she said. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, how many times have we done that? You know, you know, even in my own life, and I'd love to reflect back, uh, you know, we were married in 19, what year was it, 74? Harold was born in 1994. I wasn't a, saying I was a bad spiritual person. Oh, my goodness, 20 years. Yeah, that's interesting. Almost 20. And it was, it was, I, I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. We weren't ready. It wasn't in our mind. And when it 
when we did finally have Harold, it's for some reason when you have a kid, no, no matter how it's planned, you always broke all of a sudden. <laughs> but we manage, you know. Now he That's works at Lackner Air Force Base, and he's married, and you know, you've uh-huh. heard the stories before. But it was the perfect timing. Yeah. And maybe, maybe I, I got myself together. Maybe Dana. Well, I think Dana, honestly was was always ready. I think possibly mm-hmm. she was looking at me as a roustabout, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, that's a big title. I was, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. too fancy for me. I wouldn't know. I just worked all the time. But I get but it. Was it. I get perfect it. Timing. The, so that's what I want to say about starting Abraham. a family. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective, uh, I, and I've heard it before. It's an ancient perspective. Uh, yeah, yeah and, ancient, and I've heard it before. Could be Jewish, maybe. Who knows? And it could very well be. It could very well be true or part of the you know part of the mix of that era um it it's not usually those who just kind of read the bible and and so we think well they couldn't have a child and yet, you know and their their faith was tested and then finally abraham even when sarah was much older uh, they had this child they had to wait 25 years after the promise but then they made uh the decision to ha- try to have a child through Hagar, the servant, uh, and kind of help God along with that plan. And it really caught, only the thing it did is cause complications because Hagar became the, uh, the father of the Arab nations. Uh, and, and, and that certainly hadn't worked out too awfully well between, um, Israel and, and the Arab nations there. But, but be that as it may, whichever direction it was and whatever the mix there was there, Harold, we can say that that was a juncture. That was a point when the that redemptive plan that God had in mind was in, interrupted. And you can even say you can even say that there was a time when God told Isaac, I, Abraham, to take Isaac up on a mountain and and sacrifice him. And, and boy, mm-hmm. that would have been an interruption uh, without a doubt. So yeah. uh, it, it doesn't always have to be a a villain and a bad person, I suppose, in these because. The point was that many times God was calling on his people to believe him and to trust him that he was going to bring about that promise to be sure. But you've put your hand on, on a couple of occasions there. And in the last. Well, I was taught that. I was yeah. taught that. Believe me. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, you know, I, I just can't say arrow all the time, you know, because I've learned from people and I'm sure other people learn from someone else. I just can't take the credit. You know, I've said that before. Yeah. Uh, well, we all do, know, and, and I appreciate so much the things that that you've learned. I know that 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 Hebrew Jewish perspective can really bring a lot of light uh, quite often to the scriptures. For it taught us. me to ask the question, mm-hmm. you know, to ask the question, you know, when you're reading. Exactly. Uh, for instance, why was it 99 years yeah. old? If you go through the sages and all that, you know, the Talmud and everything, it's all. Everything's been discussed, believe it or not. And you know what you said last week? It has uh, been. I, I had missed the first the first part of the the program last week. You were talking about people that were going to church at an early age, and the Bible was not really presented. I'm not saying it wasn't presented good, but it's so much more in-depth now with everything that they found and, mm-hmm. you know, all the extra writings and everything. Mm-hmm. And even myself— you know, in 1985, when I was going to Wesatch Avenue Baptist Church with my grandparents, the family place, and and I got discouraged. And then what happens? You learn something new, and mm. you blame the preacher for not teaching you. <laughs> I did that, and I stayed out of the church for almost. I, I get it. I really did. Fifteen years I because get it. of that. It it is 
In some ways, I think there is a little bit of blame. I think our pastors and our leaders, and, 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 and myself included, we, we sometimes, I think, haven't taken as seriously as we ought to teach God's Word. On the other hand, uh, it is, it's like an onion. There's so many layers to it that you uh, I've studied and memorized the Scripture since I was eight years old. And, you know, you, it, it wasn't anybody's fault. But, you know, I think at some point you learn it at a certain level, and then you learn something else, and then you, you get to be an adult, and you start asking adult questions, and you start – and if you're in ministry, people start asking you questions that you have to answer, and you have to find answers that satisfy, that, you know, not just giving them some kind of an answer, but real answers that satisfy, that make sense, that that – and so I, I think that it's a life. You could give a lifetime to studying this book in the original That's languages, sure. the Greek, the Hebrew, the whatever, and you're still going to be learning things at the end. <laughs> There's no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, you'll still be learning things at the end. No doubt. I sure love it. You know, just uh, one more thing, if you don't mind. No we mind. had a friend probably as I mean, uh, uh, he wasn't with us all the time, but mm-hmm. he was. Uh, his name is Ben Williams, and he passed away. Last week, I think on the 14th, just suddenly of a heart attack, he, just, he had just turned 60, and the family knows him. And um, they they go to Mayfield Baptist Church, mm-hmm. and, you know, we helped out with a bunch of masks and everything. And, uh, it, you know, it, it was just so sad. I had seen him about two weeks before at uh, our restaurant over here, Bobby's Cafe. And uh-huh. he was just up in spirits, and it and it's just like, you know, it's up to the, you know, it's up to the guy. You know, he lived a good Christian life. His family knows he's in heaven. You know, mm-hmm. they say it mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, on Facebook, I'm media, sure. whatever. They're comforted, yeah. And yes, they are comforted by that. And that's that goes back to this Abraham story, I believe, mm-hmm. that where the where the guy has to stand up and don't be mean, but he needs to himself not. Make people do stuff. Make himself get up and go to work, and mm-hmm. make himself be a better person. Mm. But I, I don't know. I admit, I had some coffee and some cookies before I called, and so <laughs> <laughs> got me going. All right, that's fine. Anyway, I better let you run. So I, I hope somebody else calls in. I like to hear what they. Okay, Harold. Have to thank say. you for calling. I really appreciate it. Uh, he does bring up a great point there. Harold does that. That. Um, with with Abraham and Isaac, there's no doubt about it that there are probably a number of occasions there uh, in the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And those there are these times when when the when the whole plan was put at, at risk, uh, endangered uh, sometimes because of individuals and decisions they made. And maybe maybe Abraham did. Did not settle down and take seriously that promise about the children that God was going to give him. I suppose that's a possibility, and so on. Uh, but but that definitely was one of those points. From Seth uh, in the book of Genesis, you come to Noah, you get to Abraham, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All through there, there are other occasions when the redemptive plan of God was put was endangered, was put at risk. Please give me a call, 210-340-9585. Can you think of one or more occasions in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, uh, where uh, you could see that not just a war, not just a battle, not just somebody got sick and this, that, and the other. 
maybe that's what happened on the surface, the event, but maybe you hadn't thought about it, how that illness or that sickness or that death or that battle or that war or that that uh, event not only involved the individuals there, but it could have had the potential of interrupting the, the entire redemptive plan of God to bring through uh, the nation and the people of Israel, bringing the Messiah into the world. God's redemptive plan hinged on that Redeemer, on that Savior, on that Messiah. So give me a call, if you will, 210-340-9585, just like Harold did. You may not want to talk at length. Maybe you would like. It doesn't matter. I'll visit with you and let you share your heart. But I'd like you to give me, try to remind me tonight of some of the many different occasions in the Old Testament when when the, the redemptive plan of God was endangered, was threatened, because of uh, different different things, an illness, like I said, it could be an individual, it could be a war, a battle, the whole people. Uh, there are lots of different ways, not killing people, and also losing the identity. When people, when when the people of Israel were taken out of Egypt, out of Israel into Babylon, their names were changed. Remember, all of their names were changed. They took on the Babylonian names and Babylonian gods. The attempt was there to to rob them and interrupt their identity with God, the, the, their, that they were the people of God and that they were going to be used of God to to bless the nations of the world by uh, because principally because through them, not only because of the laws of God and, and knowing and teaching about the true and living God, not idols or false gods, but because the Redeemer, the Savior, was to come through them. And and uh, so if we could have broken down their identity, if we'd made them forget who they are and, and uh, their their reason for existing in terms of their relationship to God, that unique calling they have on their lives, then the, the, the plan of God could be interrupted. So that there's, you know, there's another occasion of it, even the uh, the exile itself. Give me a call, if you will, 210-340-9585. There are lots more. Uh, lots of occasions, lots of uh, examples we could give of uh, through the Old Testament where the plan of God was being interrupted. Now, the reason I'm asking you that tonight is because the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, that is a principal theme. Remember, they've been taken into exile. They, their names have been changed and so on and so on. And yet, miraculously, God bring, raises up uh, 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 an emperor uh, – that enables them, and Cyrus signs a decree, and actually Nehemiah even refers, Daniel actually refers to that decree when the decree was written that uh, that allowed people to go back and to re uh, inhabit uh, to to retake to relive again in Israel, and so. Um, uh, Nehemiah and Ezra are part of the returning of the God's people uh, to to Israel. And uh, many of these people, uh, as it turns out, they remember as we, we, we look back through them and we there is there's still a lineage that is there. Anyway, give me a call, 210-340-9585. If you can remember any of the many occasions in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, when uh, that redemptive plan, that scarlet thread through the Old Testament was almost cut. Uh, there, there are a number of different occasions. I'd love to hear from you tonight to tell me one that that comes to your mind. Now then, 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. As I said, Ezra was a scribe. Uh, his focus was on uh, the scriptures. He wrote the books of First and Second Chronicles, which is kind of a selective history from the books of First and Second Kings. He uh, follows the from King David. He follows all of the kings of of Judah in the south. They are in the royal lineage. They are in the messianic lineage, and he follows them and reminds them in the books of the Chronicles. Uh, he's reminding them of God's plan for them as a people, that God's redemptive plan, God's hand is upon them, how they should live, how they should worship God so that they would not lose their identity, that they would be faithful and God would preserve them to bring about that Redeemer, that Savior. Um, who was the king that authorized the Now, see, this isn't in the Scriptures necessarily. Uh, I'll have to look at it for sure. But in Ezra chapter 7, Ezra chapter 7, verse 1, uh, I want to see if it tells us. Okay, yeah, it does. How about that? Uh, who was the king in Ezra chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 11? Who was the king of, per- of Persia that authorized the second group of Jews to return to Jerusalem? Sometimes All right. It's a very interesting king, uh, emperor. He had he had uh, thought of himself as God. He claimed, if you've ever seen the movie Three Hundred, this is that same emperor that threatened and attacked Greece in that famous battle of what is it? I've forgotten the name of that 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 pathway. The 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 movie about the three hundred three hundred Greek warriors that stood off the entire army of the Persians. Uh, very, very interesting. That was Artaxerxes, uh, the one who had uh, taken Esther as his wife and so on. And he's the one who authorized the second group to return to Jerusalem. So all of this is right there in your history books and right there in our scriptures. Give me a call, 210-340-9585, if you can help us tonight by telling us some of the occasions in the Old Testament when the redemptive plan of God was almost interrupted. Going to take another break real quick. Don't you dare go away. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Child of the Father. 
Yes, indeed. Thanks for joining us. This is our final segment. So, folks, I need you to get on the phone. I want some of you to help me out tonight. 210-340-9585. I want you to help me out. This is a very, very important point and part of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. And it's kind of highlighted for us here in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, they are in, they are also reminding us of this truth, that uh, one of the principal reasons for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the children of Israel, the 12 tribes, and the, the, is that God, yes, God is re- maintaining a witness of himself through them and through uh, their existence and their, their testimony, their faithfulness, uh, uh, often own faithfulness, but that God was using them to continue, keep a, me- a witness to the true and living God. But also, it was crucial because he promised as well that through their lineage, through a certain line of uh, of men and women in that in that uh, nation in that people group, he was going to bring this Messiah, who was going to be the cornerstone. He was going to be the principal piece, uh, the primary piece of God's redemptive plan was in this one who would come and take upon himself the sins of humanity, that he would be a perfect man. A man in every sense, but he would trust God, love God. He would indeed accomplish what what Adam didn't accomplish in the Garden of Eden, that he would be faithful to the very end, and he would keep the laws of God, and then the, then he who knew no sin would become sin for us. And that the entire redemptive plan of God hinged on the, that one coming into the world and carrying out his ministry carrying out his calling, his role in the redemptive plan. And I'm asking you, give me some examples in the Old Testament when that redemptive plan was nearly interrupted, was nearly that scarlet thread through the Scriptures was almost cut off. I mean, this isn't hard, and I want some of you to help me out. I've mentioned to you uh, Cain killed Abel, so Seth came in. Uh, then they led us to Noah. All the world let, ran away from God except Noah and his family, and, and then judgment fell, but Noah was preserved. Through Noah, then, the promise was there. Then we f- see Abraham and Isaac b- picked up. Uh, as uh, Harold mentioned to us, God is going to use Abraham. He's going to establish a great nation, many nations, through Abraham. And through his seed, the nations of the world would be would be blessed. So we have Abraham, and remember, we have Abraham and Sarah. They didn't have a child. He had another child, Ishmael, through Hagar. And then Abraham and Sarah have their son, Isaac. Um, there are several chances there that, that if they hadn't had that child or if he had sacrificed that child, that that redemptive plan would have been cut off. Well, then they come to Abraham, Isaac, and then you come to Jacob. Jacob was slow to come to faith in God. If one of them lost their faith and didn't follow after God, you know how much how could they have kept the redemptive plan? But Jacob came to faith in God, and and, and had his uh, remember Jacob's ladder. He had his moment when he converted and followed after God and faithfully. But then something else happened, right? The whole, the entire nation of Israel there in the womb, actually, uh, represented in Jacob and his children, uh, 12 sons of, of, of uh, Israel, uh, Jacob, and they were almost destroyed by a famine. But then they had to go down into Egypt. That's why they went to Egypt, is to escape this famine so that they wouldn't all die of starvation. So you have, there's another occasion. 
uh, the, the, the nation could have been interrupted there. But then they went down to Egypt. They were welcomed uh, miraculously. They were given a haven, a home, and they survived. And they grew and grew as a nation to a, to a great multitude of people. But then they were going to be destroyed and kept there in Egypt as slaves. And they would not carry out, fulfill their redemptive plan of God through the people of Israel. And so then you have Moses. Moses comes along and he saves and God uses him to save them, to take them out of Egypt, to bring them again back to the promised land. So you can see what I'm trying to say. Maybe you've never looked at the scriptures this way. Maybe you've never understood and looked at the Old Testament as as uh, God carrying out this redemptive plan. Uh, in, his, in the right time, in the right moment, we're told later in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verse 4, in the right time, in the right moment, God brought forth the Messiah, uh, born of a woman, born under the law, just as it had been predicted in the, in the uh, book of Genesis, in the Old Testament. But it, it, all, it was the right moment, but the, the path had to be preserved. The people of Israel had to be preserved all through that time, uh, sometimes preserved from their own disbelief, from their own failures, and sometimes uh, preserved from the attacks of others upon them and so on. So give me some examples, folks. Give me a call, 210-340-9585. Help me to teach this point tonight from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, from the Hebrew Scriptures, that this is crucial that we see that of all the other things that happened, the wars and the battles and this and that, the, the, it was crucial that they maintain their faith in God, their identity as the people of God, so that God and, and, be, and remained available for God to use them and work in them and through them to bring the Redeemer, the Messiah, into the world. Give me some examples in the Old Testament. I've already given you five or six uh, in our discussion here. Seth, Noah, Abraham, you've got Jacob, you know, Israel, you've got Moses, uh, you've got the people of Israel down in Egypt. That was a, They could have been destroyed. They could have lost their identity down there and been destroyed as a people and absorbed into, into the other, uh, the mixed multitudes of Israel. But no, they were brought out and they were reminded of their identity and they kept that identity. Okay, let's go forward. What are some occasions that you can remember from the Hebrew Scriptures where the the redemptive plan of God was almost interrupted? Okay, so Ezra and Nehemiah, these books, uh, this was one occasion. They are bringing people back, people of Israel back, four to 6,000 of them coming back. Uh, and I think there were three... Uh, perhaps three, maybe four different groups. Uh, maybe there's smaller groups that came as well. But uh, we, we know, I think, uh, two or three or four groups that came back, major groups uh, migrated back to the Promised Land. They were permitted to return under a decree from Cyrus the Great. And then, as you read in Ezra chapter 6, verse 1, it was uh, Darius was the one who, the king of Persia, who researched the archives. He found the original order that Cyrus had given to rebuild the temple and authorized the Jews to resume construction of the temple uh, in Jerusalem. So Darius is used as a part of that. Remember, Darius, if I remember correctly, is the one that had put... Um, 
Was that the one who had put uh, Daniel in the lion's den? Uh, one of the Medo-Persian kings. So you see what's going on here. The, this this process, miraculously, these emperors are finding these documents that give authority and remind them uh, that the people of Israel are allowed to go back. And that was a very imper- important recuperation of the, the vision and the function of the people of Israel. So uh, there in the book of Ezra, we see this taking place. Shortly after arriving in Jerusalem, Ezra is told of a practice among the Jewish people there that drives him to his knees in, in tears and in remorse for Israel's sin. This is found in Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. And this brings up one of these very interesting aspects of the Hebrew Scriptures, a reminder of throughout the Scriptures that we need to be reminded about what sin was Ezra confessing to God. Now listen again to the question. Shortly after arriving in Jerusalem, Ezra is told of a practice among the Jews living there in Jerusalem. There is a practice that drives him to his knees in tears and remorse for Israel's sin. And he prays a prayer of confessing confessing sin to God. And though he did not participate in the sin, he uses the pronoun we, uh, humbly assuming the guilt and the sin of his people. What sin was it that Ezra is confessing? In uh, Ezra chapter 9, verse 1, it relates to the question I'm asking you tonight about the people of Israel losing their vision, losing and um, and putting in endangering, therefore, the redemptive plan of God. Let's go to our phone lines. Someone is willing to help me out here, and I'm so glad about that. Leslie is calling in, and I'm so glad to hear from you, Leslie. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I'll I'm, uh, make a comment on your original question. Thank you. And uh, what I've See that interrupted uh, could have interrupted everything was when Moses came down the mountain with the original tablets, and he approached and he saw the people worshiping the golden calf. Yes, and he threw down and broke the tablets because he knew that if that they were uh, disobeying the for, the very first line which thou shall have no other god but me uh-huh. that god may have had to destroy all of israel because of it and that would have ended everything you're exactly right les because and even in that context uh there's a point where god says i'm going to destroy them and i'm going to start all over with you moses and remember that aspect of that story and moses pleads with him not to do so he prays and intercedes for the people of Israel, and they, in fact, they, they do ask forgiveness, and God is a forgiving God. He reveals that a part of his character, that he is forgiving. And you're exactly right, though. That was a that was a dangerous moment. That was a time when, when this people, the plan could have, if they don't, if they don't recapture their vision and their, their covenant with God, that they are the people of God, that, that God is going to use, you know, they, 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 you know, the, the plan of God could be put in danger. They, if they don't fulfill their role, they don't step up by faith. Now, God, in his grace and mercy, would start all over again with Moses. He would do an even greater act of mercy and grace. But uh, you're exactly right to put your finger on that. There, 
There are a number of these occasions, really, if we think about it, um, all through the time uh, Egypt and Moses and through the... Remember all their wandering in the wilderness all those years? There were several times when their lives were threatened. They had no right. water. They had no food. And yet God provided for them in each case and allowed them to continue. They were they were attacked by other people. Uh, so there's several... There are a lot of occasions when you could see that if things had gone wrong, the redemptive plan of God, remember when Joshua took them into the promised land, all the threats that they faced at that point and, and so on. So uh, we can we can see them through there, and it's a wonderful thing for us to realize that because it shows the power and the mercy and the grace of God that through his power, he calls, he is sovereign and he caused the redemptive plan to, 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 to be continually preserved. And, and I remember there was one time when all the kings of David's, uh, David's lineage was cut off, and they were all killed except one. Do you remember his name? No, I don't. I remember, it was in the time of Ahab and Jezebel, one uh, of, uh, and, and Jezebel... Uh, the, her daughter Athaliah killed uh, seventeen. I think it was seventeen or sixteen of of the offspring, the Davidic lineage. She killed them all, and one child escaped. His name was Joash, and you can read about it there in Kings or in Chronicles. And one child, just one child away from cutting off the the, the Davidic lineage, and God right. miraculously pre- preserved that child. Uh, and, oh, it's a beautiful story of how he did it. But you can see all through, all through the scriptures, there there's so many occasions when, you know, a, an enemy army or someone else or an illness or something was there to threaten that that messianic lineage, but God preserved it in His grace. Even Herod the Great, remember when Jesus was born and Herod, the slaughter of the innocents, they call it. He killed all right. the children two years old and under. What if, you know, what if he had found uh, Joseph and Mary and the two-year-old child and killed the Messiah? I mean, down to the very last, to the Messiah himself, the threat was always there, always there. Thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Uh, You've given us, reminded us of a couple occasions in the life and times of Moses and give me a chance to kind of maybe help remind some others of, of the kind of things we're talking about, this interruption of the redemptive plan of God. Les, good to hear from you. Are you and your family being safe and, and and being blessed during these times? What's going on? Yes, we are. We're we're trying to stay stay home and uh, stay go healthy. out as little as possible and wear masks and keep yeah. keep uh, clean and all that. Good stay stuff. healthy, my friend. We, we we wish God's blessing and protection on you and yours. Okay. Thank you very much. Good night, my friend. Thank you for calling in. You still have we still have time, folks. Uh, not a lot of time left, but I'd still love to hear from one or two or more of you, two or three, that you can quickly tell me some of the ways that the redemptive plan of God was put at risk through the Old Testament. We're mentioning more and more of them with each one that calls. We're talking about uh, others and how the pieces of the puzzle continually got preserved and put together so that ultimately we could. Uh, we the Jesus the Messiah would come. Remember, oh man, there's so many instances of this. 
Joshua coming into the promised land. Uh, remember the, your, the years of battle, 25 years of battle. Then you have uh, all of those 300, 325 years of, of threats uh, under the judges. And each one of those was a threat to the, to the um, people of Israel. It was a threat to the vision and to the, the, the position that, that God was going to use that people Unfaithful and weak and frail as they were, God was still going to use them and preserve them to bring about, to bring, ultimately, finally, be able to bring about the Messiah, the Redeemer. And how many times were they saved in the times of the judges? And it wasn't just, see, sometimes we read those books and we just think, oh, it's just about Israel and it's just about that nation, that people group. And, all. and, and we, we, we can't forget that what made Israel special and worth preserving in that sense was that promise, that covenant that God had with them to bring through them, uh, through them as a people, uh, to keep alive a witness and a vision of the true and living God and to bring through them the Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And uh, we have to remember that always when you're reading the Hebrew Scriptures, it's one of those real keys to reading and understanding the Bible. There are several uh, the understanding of who God is, the triune nature of our God. That's one of those fundamental truths that you have to have that in mind if you're going to read the Bible, Old and New Testaments, and, and understand you you need to have that those fundamental truths involved. The, the messianic promise, the messianic line, the redemptive plan of God there. You have to have the understand the nature of God, the triune relational nature. At the very heart of the Godhead, there is relationship. There is uh, God at the very core of his being is, is social, is interpersonal, and he is bringing us, he has created humanity in his image. We too are relational beings, and we were created for relationship, I mean, eternal relationship with him. We are being brought into that oneness, harmonious relationship of love, of character, of purpose, and of intent that the, that God, that the true and living God has. We are being brought into that oneness relationship with God and with each other as his people. No, we're not becoming God. That's not what I'm saying. But we're being brought by his grace and mercy and through the work of the Redeemer, the Messiah. We're being brought into that oneness, harmonious relationship with God. Read Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Bring them, O Father, into that harmonious relationship with you and me that, that you and I have enjoyed, for, enjoyed from eternity past. We are being brought into that harmonious oneness relationship. But that's the redemptive plan, but there were many dangerous ways. Now, I mentioned to you Ezra chapter 9. The sin that Ezra was confessing was intermarriage with pagan wives. Now, this uh, this was not a racial mandate that, that many times they would intermarry with people who were not Jewish ethnic, ethnically. Uh, Ruth was not a Jewish. Ruth was a Moabitess. Uh, uh, many others that we can talk about, Rahab, others in Scripture, and many others uh, that if, if you don't pay attention through the Scriptures and know the names and so on, you may not know that. But uh, no, it was never about racism or, or ethnicity. It was about intermarrying with those who don't follow after God, who with pagan wives or pagan spouses. 
because that would deter them, that would distract them from their calling. And the same mandate is there in the New Testament. Paul in the book of Corinthians talks about not being uh, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Uh, for us as followers after Jesus Christ, followers after the true and living God, that, that there's nothing that now potentially people can come to faith in God uh, like Ruth did. Uh, and so on, or at Rahab, but at the same time, many times, and what they, they, what Ezra is seeing here in chapter nine, was that these pagan wives and pagan spouses were drawing the people of God away from their faith, just like they did with Solomon. Remember Solomon and his many wives and concubines. He was drawn away from uh, his potential as a, a man of faith and a, a wise man that God had given a gift of wisdom. But he was drawn away and, and, and did some very unwise and ungodly things during his life. And a lot of that happened because he was drawn away from his faith in God by all of these pagan wives that he they brought into his household. And so, uh, so Ezra then reminds the people, and the people pray, and they weep, uh, and they confess. They join him in confessing the sin to the God, and they they uh, he throw he weeps, he cries, he throws himself on the ground in front of the temple. But the people made the decision. They re- not only regretted their sin, but they were willing to repent, to turn away from their sin. They in chapter ten. Of Ezra, it, we have the occasion where the, those the, now there weren't many, but there were those who had committed the sin, and they separated themselves from their pagan wives and children, those who would not follow after the true and living God after and worship God. They they made that decision to to be faithful to that covenant relationship that they have as a people with God. Uh, so all through Ezra and Nehemiah, we see this principle. Uh, that's the very theme, is that the people are being brought back from exile under Ezra. And in Nehemiah, uh, this administrator, he is a cupbearer to to the emperor himself, and and uh, which is a very powerful, responsible position. And he, you can read his story. How he is, he receives the news that the gates of of uh, Jerusalem are burned and and knocked down, and he is very very sad about it. Uh, this isn't a patriotic thing. This is he's sad about it for the cause of God. He knows and understands Israel, the people's, the place that Israel holds, it, and and he's weeping. Uh, now, sure, I'm. I'm I'm not saying there wasn't some kind of a patriotic element, you know, my people, my city, uh, and so on. But the the spiritual foundation was that that God's plan was at stake here. And Nehemiah prays and he acts and God uses him throughout the book of Nehemiah. God uses him mightily to go back and in 52 days to restore and rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. That very wall that Jesus, many centuries later, would ride into in his triumphal entry. What an amazing, amazing God we serve. Thanks for being with me tonight, folks. We'll see you next week on The Bible Bible Live. It is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. 
Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live Broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.